Thank you, Dee. So good to be with you guys. And uh, let me ask you a question. When's the last time that you had an experience that you were just like, man, this is a little bit of heaven on earth? Like there was some place you went to or some group of people that you were around, some, something you experienced that you were like, man, this is just a taste of heaven right here. I experienced that last weekend. Uh, last weekend, Cindy and I were on Maui for the weekend, and we were doing some ministry, but then on Saturday, we were able to go to Hana. And it's been like, I don't know, 25 years, I think, since I've been to Hana, and I forgot just how gorgeous Hana is, just lush, green, vibrant, and there's almost nobody around, so it's just quiet and peaceful, and me and Cindy were just looking at each other going, oh, man, this is heaven on earth. But then the next day, Sunday, we were visiting this little church in upcountry Maui, just going to encourage this church. And we experienced this group of folks that were just so loving and gracious and kind and, you know, not perfect. There's, there's pain. There's problems in this church. But these people love Jesus so deeply, love his word so deeply that that love just kind of overflows and spills out in the way that they love each other and love the community there in upcountry that they're around. And, and as we left church last week, we were going, no, no, we were wrong. This is heaven on earth right here. Don't you love those experiences where, where you just get a little taste of heaven? We get those little glimpses every once in a while, but guess what? There is a day coming when we're going to get a huge taste of heaven, the ultimate taste of heaven. You heard last week, there's a day coming when Jesus is coming back. He's coming back as the conquering king, the sovereign king, the sacrificial king, and then he's going to reign on earth for some really long period of time. It won't be heaven. Won't be heaven yet, but it'll be a taste of heaven. What we're talking about is the millennium. And that's what John's going to show us in Revelation chapter 20. So if you got your Bible, open to Revelation 20. That's where we're going to be today. And for some of you, you've been waiting for this chapter the whole way we've been going through Revelation. Because this is the chapter that everybody's got questions about. This is the chapter that gives a lot of Christians, a lot of Bible scholars, heartburn. Because if you ignore this chapter, the rest of the New Testament seems really clear. It seems really clear that when Jesus comes back, he judges the living and the dead, he brings heaven to earth, and then it's done. Bing, bang, boom, just like that. But then you get to this chapter, and this thing, it, it just throws a wrench in the whole plan. Jesus comes back, and Satan is bound for a thousand years. Jesus reigns on earth for a thousand years with unbelievers still around on the earth. And then finally after that, Jesus judges and, and brings heaven to earth. And there's lots of passages in the Old Testament that will back that up. But it's really not that clear in the New Testament. So a lot of Christians are like, man, why do we need this? Why do we need this weird intermediary period of time where Jesus is reigning but it's not heaven yet. Why do we need that? Why can't Jesus just come and drop the hammer? Why can't he come and judge everyone, bring heaven to earth? Why can't he just come and bring justice all at once? Here's the answer to that question. Because God wants to prove to all of creation for all time that his justice flows out of his love. That's what we're going to see in the millennium. That's what we're going to see today. So let's pray, then we'll dive in. Father, thank you so much for those words that we sang this morning that it is amazing how much grace you've lavished on us. 
astounding, breathtaking, jaw-dropping, skin-tingling, the amount of grace that you've lavished on us and on the whole world. Thank you so much for your grace. And Lord, we know that it's not just your grace that is active today. Your grace will carry us through years and millennia. So I pray that as we see your power, we would also see your grace and love at work today as we see the millennium unfold that we have to look forward to in the future. Help us to see the grace of Jesus in a powerful new way today. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we're looking at Revelation 20. This is just after Jesus comes back. He's throwing the beast, the prophet, false prophet, into the lake of fire. And then look at what it says. Revelation 20, verse 1. John is still speaking. He says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key to the abyss and a great chain in his hand. He sees the dragon, that ancient serpent who was the devil and Satan, and he bound him for a thousand years. Some people have this idea that God and Satan are just these equal forces, just scrapping for all eternity to see who really runs these streets. That's not it at all. It's clear right here. God is sovereign. If he wants to put Satan in timeout, he'll put Satan in timeout. If he wants to send him to his corner, that's what he'll do. He's not judging Satan yet. That'll happen later. He's just locking Satan away. And John says that's going to happen for a thousand years. A thousand years. Every other number in Revelation has been symbolic, and this one's the same. Because in the ancient world, they used that term, a thousand, kind of like the way we use chulk in Hawaii, like, man, there's chulk rain this week. That's the same in the ancient world. It just means a lot. It's a lot of time that we're talking about. And so it says in verse 3, he threw Satan into the abyss, he closed it, and he put a seal on it so that he would no longer deceive the nations until the thousand years were completed. After that, he must be released for a short time. But for some long period of time, Satan is gone. Just imagine that. Imagine life without Satan. Satan's not here to deceive us. He's not here to tempt us. He's not here to accuse us. Imagine what that kind of life would be like. Now, if you've got Jesus, you've already been freed from Satan's power. We know that. Colossians 1 says, God has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son who he loves. So if you've got Jesus, Satan only has as much power over you as you allow Satan to have. He's only got that much power. But for all of your friends and family who don't know Jesus, Satan's got all kinds of power over them. Whether they want it or not, whether they even know it or not. But there's a day coming where for some long period of time, a thousand years, 10,000 years, we don't know, for some long period of time, Satan will be powerless, completely powerless. Jesus is going to be in charge. And on top of that, so will you. Look at verse 4. It says, then I saw thrones and people seated on them who were given authority to judge. I also saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus, because of the word of God who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and who had not accepted the mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life, and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So all the folks who've been martyred for Christ, they're being resurrected 
to reign with Christ. And this isn't just the martyrs. We're going to see a little bit later that this is all the saints for all time who are reigning with Christ. Everybody who has ever been faithful to God as one of his kids, they're being resurrected right now. Family, this is the resurrection. This is the resurrection we're seeing here. This thing that we celebrate every year at Easter, we celebrate the fact that one day we're going to be physically resurrected just like Jesus was physically, physically resurrected. There's a two-stage resurrection that we have to look forward to. When you die, you'll be spiritually resurrected. Kind of like Jesus said to the thief on the cross, he said, truly, I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. You'll be face-to-face with Jesus, but your body won't be there. It'll still be in the ground. You'll be with Jesus in spirit, but then one day at the beginning of the millennium, you're going to be with Jesus in the flesh. You'll have a resurrected body just like Christ's resurrected body. That's something amazing to look forward to. All of us who are dealing with aches and pains, busted knees, diseases, illnesses that the doctors can't explain, one day your body will be made whole. It's going to be amazing. And the resurrection... It's one of those things that makes Christianity completely unique among all religions and philosophies in the world. Nobody else believes this. We don't believe that our cosmic energy is going to become one with the cosmic energy of the universe. We don't believe that. We don't believe that we will be reincarnated into another creature. No. We believe that we will be resurrected, and not just our souls. One day, all of us, mind, soul, and body, the whole Manapua, going to be resurrected to be with Christ. You'll be resurrected to reign with Christ on the earth, and Satan will be gone. You won't be tempted. You won't be deceived. You won't be accused. You'll just be doing what you were always designed to do, just living a life where you enjoy God, you glorify God with freedom and, and joy and purity. You'll still be living in a fallen world with fallen people. The unbelievers who are alive when Jesus returns, they'll still be around. Just like when Jesus was resurrected for 40 days on this earth, he he was living in the fallen world just the same way. So what we're looking at here, this is a taste of heaven, but it's not heaven yet. Look at what it says in verse 5. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. Okay, so Unbelievers haven't been resurrected yet, not at this point. The only unbelievers that are living in the millennium are the ones who were around when Jesus came back. It says this is the first resurrection, the the resurrection of the believers. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them. That is such good news, family. Yeah, we'll die once. We'll die physically but we will not die twice. We'll not experience spiritual death. Second death has no power over us, but we will be priests of God and of Christ and we'll reign with him for a thousand years. That's what you're going to be doing after you're resurrected. That's what you're going to be doing during the millennium. Reigning with Christ and representing Christ. You'll reign under Christ the King. You'll represent Christ as his priest. Because there's still unbelievers around 
We're still going to need to preach the grace of Christ and show the love of Christ and demonstrate the power of Christ because there's still going to be people who need to be forgiven and redeemed and transformed by Christ. And that's going to be really clear at the end of the millennium. Keep going in verse 7. It says, When the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison and he'll go out to deceive the nations at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. They came up across the breadth of the earth, and they surrounded the encampment of the saints, the beloved city. So all of these people who've been submitting to Jesus just kind of out of duty for a thousand years, yeah, they're going to betray Jesus as soon as they have the chance to overthrow Jesus. As soon as it looks like, oh, maybe we can take him out, they'll be like, let's do that. And this is why we need the millennium right here. This is why we need this weird in-between phase. It's to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that we really are totally depraved. Totally depraved. I mean, we can do good. We can imitate good. We can pursue good. But we cannot truly be good without the supernatural work of God in our hearts. We just can't do it. Even if Jesus is standing here in front of us, we just can't do it. How many of your friends have, have said something like, well, yeah, if Jesus was standing here in front of me, then I would follow him. If Jesus was standing here in front of me, then I would trust him. Then I, then I would believe in him. How many of your friends have said something like that? Well, Jesus hears that, and he's like, okay, I got you. I'll do that. I'll come and I'll stand here in front of you, in the flesh, face to face. And on top of that, I'll get rid of Satan for a while. He'll have no power over you. I'll send him to time out. Even then, even so, still most people won't believe in Jesus. Now, Jesus is doing everything he can to set them up for success. Everything. Kind of like the guy who invented pickleball. I mean, I think that was his main goal in life, right? He's like, hey, a, a tennis racket's too small for you? I got you. I'm going to give you a paddle that's as big as like a Costco pizza paddle. It's going to be awesome. And he's like, oh, 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 and the, the tennis court's too big for you? I got you. This court's going to be as big as your kitchen table. You only have to move a couple inches either way. And oh, oh, the tennis ball moves too fast for you? I got you. This ball is made out of lead. Ka-chunk. It'll just barely move at all. You'll be able to play this game no problem. You'll have no excuse not to get out there and play. Maybe you're like, well, that guy never met me. I'm full of excuses. So when your friend wants to go play pickleball and you're really, really busy binging Outer Banks or whatever it is that you binge, what do you do? You're like, oh man, I, I would love to. I'd really love to, but I, I got to take my goldfish to the doctor. You come up with some kind of excuse to get out of it. And that's what people are going to be like in the millennium. Jesus is going to make it so easy to trust him and love him and obey him. He's going to give people a thousand years to turn to him. But here's the reality. Our hearts aren't changed by the passing of time. Only by the work of the Holy Spirit. And so people will submit to Christ kind of like you submit to your boss. Maybe you flatter him to his face, but you kind of talk stink behind his back. 
That's what it will be like. And, and after a thousand years of that, people are going to turn against Jesus the first chance they get. John just told us the whole world, the whole world is going to rally against God and his people. John says they will surround God's people. The holy city will be completely surrounded, completely outnumbered by all of these people coming against us. It'll be like the sand of the sea. That's what John says. Just this uncountably large army ready for battle. They are ready for war. Well, look at what happens. At the end of verse 9, John says, yeah, then fire came down from heaven and consumed them. That's how the battle goes. It's kind of anticlimactic, all right? These guys are ready to fight, and God's like, yeah, we're done here. Because what David said to Goliath is always going to be true. Goliath is like, I'm going to feed your flesh to the birds, David. And what does David say? It is not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. He will hand you over to us. Fam, we don't need swords to fight a battle. We've got the sword of the Spirit. We don't need to take the battle into our own hands. We've got a God who promises to fight the battle on our behalf. He'll defeat Satan and his forces right now, and one day he'll defeat Satan and his forces for all time. And so it says in verse 10, the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Satan is going to be locked up for good, for eternity, and he'll be punished for his rebellion forever and ever. And then verse 11. John says, then I saw a great white throne and one seated on it. White is the color of purity, the color of justice. And it says, earth and heaven fled from his presence and no place was found for them. Everything flees. Remember the voices, the singing that were around the throne earlier in Revelation? Yeah, those voices have faded. You remember the four creatures were surrounding the throne? They're gone. You remember the, the rainbow that was shining above the throne? That's faded away. All of heaven and earth has fled from the throne. Why is that? It's because God's final justice is coming. And it's fearsome. Verse 12, John says, I also saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Nobody's been looking forward to this day. Another book was opened, though, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by what was written in the books. This right here, this is Judgment Day. And according to the Bible, especially in 1 Peter, it says Judgment Day starts with us. Will not the saints be judged first? And so this right here, is another thing that gives a lot of people a lot of heartburn because you heard John say in verse 12, we are judged according to our works. We're judged according to our works. There should be alarm bells going off in your head right now. You should be saying to yourself, wait, 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 wait. 
I thought we were saved by grace apart from our works. Yes, absolutely, 100% true. We are saved by grace, but we are also judged by our works. Because like James 1 says, faith without works is dead. Your, your works are what reveal your faith. Your works reveal your true beliefs. If you tell your wife that you love her, but then you never pay attention to her, you never really talk to her, you never listen to her, you never care for her, you never serve her, which one is she going to believe, your words or your works? She'll judge you by your works. God's the same. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one of us may be repaid for what he has done, whether good or evil. we got to be repaid for what we've done, whether good or evil. And that's the guy, that's Paul, who's always talking about how we're saved by grace. Even he knows we are judged by our works. John says it here. It's all in the books. Every single thing you've done, good or evil, it's been recorded. And on Judgment Day, it's going to be revealed. All of it. On Judgment Day, I'm going to be standing there. And there's going to be a huge jumbotron there that will show a video of my entire life. Every single act I've ever committed, good or evil, it'll all be displayed. And all of you will be in the stands watching, all of you going, oh, Ah, okay, that one wasn't bad, but oh, man, did you have to say that? And, and, and I got to be honest with you, that terrifies me. I, I don't want my life to be all out in the open like that. But here's the thing. The reality is my life is already out in the open. God in all of heaven is watching everything that I do. It's being recorded, and one day it'll be revealed for all creation. What that means is everything I do has purpose. Every single thing I do has meaning. Every single thing I do has eternal significance. I can't just drift through life assuming that none of this matters. Every single thing I do matters. God hasn't missed anything. It's all in the books. Debits and credits, debits and credits, debits and credits. And here's the bad news. Our debits are going to far outweigh our credits by about a million times. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. Every one of those debits is going to be crossed out in that book. Every one of those debits will be crossed out in red ink because it will be crossed out by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so on that day, if we've put our trust in Jesus as our Savior and our King, Colossians says he'll erase the certificate of debt that was against us and opposed to us. He'll take it away because it's been nailed to the cross. So on that day, when my life is being played out on the jumbotron, awful work after awful work, Jesus, he's going to pull out this billion candle power projector and aim it right at the jumbotron. And he's going to show a different video that's going to far outshine my video. It's going to be a video showing his works. Every work that he has done on my behalf. 
it's going to completely obliterate the video of my works. And in the end, I'm not going to be judged by my works. I'll be judged by his works, and I'll be judged righteous. That day is going to be glorious. That day is going to be incredible. But not for everybody. Look at what John says in verse 13. Then the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each one was judged according to their works. So this is when unbelievers are resurrected. They've already experienced some kind of spiritual resurrection when they die. We get that idea from passages like like the story of the rich man and Lazarus. There's some kind of conscious punishment that they experience in spirit but now at the end of the millennium they're being physically resurrected for God's final justice and and his judgment is complete he's not going to miss anybody when it says the sea gave up its dead what that means is even people who are lost at sea don't have a gravestone anywhere nobody remembers them at all God remembers them and that's not going to be good for them Because every one of them will be judged according to their works. And and so when their life is played on the jumbotron, there's not going to be any billion candle power projector to overshadow their works. They will be judged 100% on their own works. And they will be found wanting. And so they'll be thrown into the lake of fire along with Satan. Look at what it says in verse 14. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, and this is the second death. They experienced physical death. Now they will experience spiritual death. This is the lake of fire. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. We don't know if that's going to be literal fire. We do know it's going to be miserable. Just miserable. And we know it will last forever. Jesus says in Matthew 25, they will go away to eternal punishment, eternal torment. Because God gave them so many opportunities to repent. Haven't we heard that all through this book? They did not repent. They did not repent. They did not repent. And then even after that, God gives them another thousand years to repent. Looking at them in the face saying, I love you. Please, just follow me. Still, they'll pretend to follow him, but the first chance they get, they will rebel against him. God has given them so many opportunities to turn to him. And so if they won't turn away from their sin, then God can't ignore their sin. We saw it in our devotional plan last week. Proverbs 16.4 said, The Lord works out everything to its proper end, even the wicked, for a day of disaster. So if you haven't put your trust in Jesus Christ, there is a day of disaster coming. There's a day of disaster coming. And so I want to invite you right now, if that is you, to turn from your sin, repent of your sin, and turn to Jesus. It's really not hard. It's as easy as A, B, C. A, admit your sin. Admit that you've sinned against God. B, believe in Jesus, that he died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin. 
on your behalf. And then C, confess Jesus as your king, as your Lord. Promise him that you'll follow him for the rest of your life. If you do that, then his works are going to completely overpower your works on judgment day. And even better, while you're still living here on this earth, he will empower you to do more of his works. So the last question that all of us should be asking is, okay, then then what works should I be doing? Like, if I'm going to be judged by my works on that day, what works should I be pursuing right now? And the answer is the same works you're going to be doing in the millennium. Reigning with Christ and representing Christ. Your job is to reign with Christ right now. Because Ephesians 2 says you are seated in heavenly places with Christ. Right now, today, you are seated in heavenly places with Christ. There is some way that he's given you influence in this world to reign along with him. You've been given dominion because that's what you were created for. Genesis 1, God said, let us create man in our own image so that he will rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and the livestock and over the whole earth. There's some piece of this earth that God has given you to rule over. In your family, in your workplace, with your friends, in a ministry, some place for you to rule, to have influence, to have leadership, to have ownership. So the question you gotta ask yourself is, Am I exercising influence for Christ? Am I exercising influence for Christ? Or am I just cruising? Am I just chilling? Am I just drifting? Am I just surviving? Your job is to reign with Christ. And then number two, your job is to represent Christ. Represent Christ. Like John said in Revelation 1, He has made us a kingdom of priests. That's how we represent Christ. A priest's main job is to make God visible, to bring people to God and then bring God to his people. And so ask yourself this, am I making Christ visible? Am I demonstrating Christ and sharing Christ? There's a really easy way for you to share Christ, really easy. Here it is. Just share your story of what Christ has done in your life. Everybody's got a story. Just share yours. In fact, the elders have a goal that we shared with with all the covenant members of our church last night. Our goal is for every person who attends Harbor to share their story with one person who doesn't know Jesus Christ. Just share your story. Every person sitting here right now, our goal is for you to share your story with someone. And it's really easy. Here's how. Share who you were, who you were before Christ started working in your life. Share what Christ did, what difference he's made in your life. And then share who Christ is, just what it is about Christ that you appreciate, that you love. That's easy. Everybody can do that. Maybe you're like, okay, that's not so easy. That still seems really intimidating to me. That's okay. We got you. We're going to plan a talk story Tuesday that will be all about sharing your story. We'll give you some more tools that will help you build some confidence in how to share your story. You'll get more details later about that. But family, we can't wait until the millennium to do what God has called us to do. John says in Revelation 1, we are a kingdom of priests. 
We can't wait until the millennium to do what we were created to do. We got to lean in to what God has made us to be. Family, let's become what we already are. A kingdom of priests. Let's pray together. Father, that is a sobering glimpse of the future we have to look forward to. And at the same time, it is an exciting, thrilling glimpse of what we have to look forward to. Nobody wants Judgment Day. That's intimidating. But thank you so much that when Judgment Day comes, that record of our works that's playing on the giant jumbotron in heaven is going to be obliterated, completely overshadowed by the billion candle power projection of Christ's work laid on top. I pray that anyone who doesn't know Christ, hasn't put their trust in Christ, will do that today. So that we can live in confidence, all of us, boldness, expectant hope. Because we know that it's not just one day in the future, it's right now today that we are reigning with Christ and representing Christ because we are seated in heavenly places with Christ. Help us to lean into that reality through the grace and power of Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.